Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, uh, some NFL draft, believe it or not. It's not never too early for that. The impact of Tua Tungavaloa's injury to the draft, to his uh, draft status. Some uh, NFL uh, playoff talk as we uh, get closer to the end of the NFL regular season. We look at both the NFC and AFC uh, pictures with Neil Stratton of Inside the League. We'll get to Neil in just a minute. First, let me tell you that We're brought to you by the Oxford Crystal, which is home to Scrambler Breakfast Bowls. Uh, The sausage, the bacon, the cheese, hook those up. Perfect way to start one of your uh, holiday Saturdays. They also have the new Nashville Hot Chicks. It's part of the Pick 5 for $5.55 there at Crystal. And, of course, they have two now. Two can dine for $9.99. That's 10 crystals, two medium fries, two medium drinks for $9.99 at the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's that simple. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. You can use it as a baseline to start your shopping, or you can do the smart thing, and that's get into a Clark Ford today. You'll love it. You'll uh, love the service after the sale. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove it to you. 662-257-1900. Also brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's 30 years old this year. One of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis. So you know you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float down option. What that does is it allows you to lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you can get the lower rate. It's the uh, lock-in option. It's J-Lo, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. Again, that's J-Lo, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. And, of course, we're brought to you by LB's Meat Market. I can't tell you enough how... uh, how much I uh, recommend LB's Meat Market. It has been my go-to for a long time. And what I do now is I just try new things. Every time I'm at LB's, uh, I get Greg Jones and the people there to kind of give me a new idea. Works every single time, whether that's fish or chicken or pork or different cuts of beef, whether it's a beef tenderloin or their bone-in ribeyes, the French cut ribeyes, uh, double bone pork chops, Tried all sorts of new things. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. We're going to get Greg on the podcast, this podcast, uh, sometime next week. Get some uh, holiday talk as we everybody starts getting ready for Thanksgiving. How to do that turkey. What are some alternatives to turkey? We'll talk about all those things, but you don't have to wait until Greg comes on the podcast to do that. You can give him a call, 662-259-2999. They're at 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, right across from Kroger. So... Um, Give him a call. 
get everything ready. You just go pick it up or you can go in and uh, browse around, look at the selection of sausages, whatever the case may be, whatever sort of uh, fits your fancy. You'll love it. It's fantastic. It's open uh, basically seven days a week this time of the year. So get in touch with Greg and uh, make sure you tell him that you heard about LBs on the beer garden. He'll throw a few extra goodies in your sack, which is always good Christmas time or uh, otherwise. So without further ado, let's get to Neil Stratton of Inside the League. Neil Stratton, kind enough to uh, join us here. Neil, before we get into some stuff, I know you've got uh, you've got a symposium that you're working on for January. I know you've got a lot of uh, irons in the fire. What are some what are some things going on that maybe uh, our people could check out? Well, uh, obviously, uh, our website is insidetheleague.com. Uh, our blog is succeedinfootball.com. We have uh, we're on Twitter uh, at Inside the League and. Uh, if you're interested in, in the NFL draft process, uh, my book, Moving the Chains, uh, A Parents Guide to NFL Draft, is on Amazon. Um, those are all available. We're also working on a symposium for people in the college recruiting and personnel space, people that are aspiring NFL scouts. If you learn more about that at itlrecruitingsymposium.com. It's going to be uh, – this was always going to be the season that was tanking for Tua, right? And and uh, what happened on Saturday in Starkville was just awful. And, and um, certainly the early prognosis appears to be positive. We'll, we'll know more about Tua Tungavaloa and, and his ability to play football at another date. But obviously he's not going to be the first pick in the draft at this point. What were your thoughts on, on his injury? Um about him even playing in that game in that particular moment just and then what it does to we'll just start with him what it does to his immediate pro stock well probably drops him out of the first round but it's just you know it's so hard and I know that every time I get on with you I equivocate on these things but it's hard to know in November what the doctors are going to say in February if he gets a clean bill of health and he can run around, and I don't know. I haven't really researched the injury per se. I know that they're they're saying Bo Jackson is a parallel, uh, and I've also heard them say that Bo Jackson's injury was not the same. And Bo, you know, kind of did more damage because he didn't know that the uh, depth of the injury. Yes. Bottom and uh, I, you know, I could see him sliding into the in the first round. Um, even with the injury. Um, we're talking about a guy that going into the season was everybody's number one overall. And it's hard to go from that guy to a guy that doesn't even go in the first 32 picks, especially given the inflation that comes with the quarterback position every year. Uh, I, I know that uh, everyone's burying him and saying, you know, now he's a second day guy. I don't think so. I still think he's an exciting player from a wonderful program who won some big games and I know that uh, his star may be falling a little bit and there's certainly big questions but everyone who's rushing to take him out of the first round, I'm not in that crowd. Is there any thought on your part that he doesn't enter the draft. I mean, it's, it's it is forgotten that he's a junior. He does have options, maybe not to return to college football even, but to take a year, get completely healthy, so that he could work out and get back up to the top of the draft. Because the difference in the top of the first round and the bottom of the first round takes years to make up professionally. Fantastic. Yeah, I haven't seen any speculation on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
what I see most often in the draft is when a kid has made up his mind that he's coming out, there's a door that closes. And even when they get hurt, even when they face a suspension or whatever, anything that really puts a major dent in their draft status or however you want to call that, they still come out because they just feel like they don't have anything left to prove. And uh, you see it a lot, especially with running backs, but you see it with defensive ends, you see it with linebackers, those type of players. Uh, I think that would be smart if he did that, but I don't expect it to happen. Um, I, again, if he if rehab goes well and he can go to Indianapolis and he can show a few things, then I don't think there's going to be any reason for him to, even though, the, you know, we're not talking about him as a, as a number one overall guy. We're not talking about him as a top ten guy anymore. You made you made a great point, but I just think that if he he went back, uh, even if he didn't play, I think it would hurt his stature. Um, and the other thing, Neil, is this will be the third year in a row that we had a guy who was seen as undraftable or a late rounder who has a great chance to know the number one pick overall. And if that doesn't show you that the the fragility of your draft status, I don't know what would. If two were to take this year off, I think he does more damage to take next year off. I think he does more damage to his draft status than if he comes out in 2020. A guy who has not seen his draft status drop instead it's the exact opposite i can't remember neil i was trying to think about it i was trying to remember the last time and it'll probably you'll probably name him instantly because i have no idea the last time someone just skyrocketed up the draft charts the way that uh burrow has at lsu joe burrow the quarterback i mean a year ago he was fine as an SEC quarterback, he was, he was fine. Uh, I, I know people liked his arm talent and stuff, and I heard people say, yeah, he's a fourth-round pick. He's he's maybe one of the first two or three players taken, depending on how the draft falls out. Is there a guy that comes to mind as a skyrocketer up the charts as much as Burrow? Yeah, the last two number one overall. Kyle Murray was the first pick in – I mean, was the first rounder in baseball. Playing – I mean, there was still debate – going into August of whether or not he would even, well, not August maybe, but in June, July of last year, whether he would even play. Well, I'm sorry. I'm getting my dates mixed up. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, going into senior July, there was debates on whether he would, whether or not he would play. There's a big thing about, yeah, he's going to play. He wants to play out his senior year or his last year, uh, whatever, and then he'll go into baseball. Nobody thought he was going to be a first rounder. Then, I remember doing this in the Friday wrap. Uh, I did a poll of scouts, and this is probably... I don't know, around this time, going into last year's draft, people are still saying, but he's 5'8", but he's a baseball player, but he's in a gimmick offense, but they don't play defense in the Big 12. But they're they're starting to say, well, he's definitely draftable, maybe he's a second rounder, some were going out on a limit saying first round. You want to be in the first overall pick. Baker Mayfield, two years, I mean, two years ago. Here's a guy... He's probably an undrafted free agent going into his senior year. Has a great, great September. Wins some big games. He's the first pick in the draft. He's, he's six feet tall. He's a former walk-on. He's a, I mean, he transferred in Oklahoma. He's playing in the gimmick offense. He doesn't have a rocket arm. All these things. He's the first pick in the draft. I mean, this is a trend that Tua needs to know about. He needs to be thinking. If he's really thinking about laying out next year and then waiting until 21, he needs to look at the last two drafts 
and he looks needs to look at this draft because there's a great chance Joe Burrow goes from you 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 said fourth rounder to me he's a sixth or seventh rounder going into this season. There's a great chance he's number one. I mean, he just passed the biggest test of the year. I, I mean, I talked to scouts. Everyone's like, well, listen, we like him, but we want to see what he does against Alabama. Look what he did against Alabama. And he doesn't have a rocket arm. And that's, that's going to be the big thing you hear for the next two months, next six months, I guess. He doesn't have a rocket arm. But he's one. He's incredibly mobile. And look at the needle. I mean, the needle's point straight up. Man, the guy is improving. Yeah, I mean. He is a nice prospect. Yeah, the deal with him. <laughs> Everybody does this stuff. It's, I, I want to scream and go, man, it's it's almost 2020. Can we stop with some of the labels when people go, you know, he's sneaky fast. Yes, he's a fast white guy. Okay. Okay. You, you know what I mean? It's 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 it's, it's like when it, they do it with Lamar Jackson. Oh, he sure is an athletic quarterback, so he's black. I mean, come on. He, he wins. Yeah. It drives me nuts. It, with, with Burrow, I don't know. Everybody says no, no rocket arm. I tell you what, I saw him Saturday at Oxford. His arm looks plenty good. I mean, he's super accurate. He he's very uh, aware in the pocket. He has a swagger about him, a, a charisma about him. He's a big kid. He can take hits. He to me, he he looks as much like a franchise quarterback coming out as I've seen in in, in a long time. I agree. Um... You know, Neil, the thing about it is there's never going to be a perfect prospect. And as soon as there is, they're going to make up something to say about him. Everyone's got to have a ding. Arm strength is probably going to be his ding. That's probably what everyone's going to talk about. And if Joe Burrow were to fail in the NFL, it's always going to be, well, he was, he had that, he didn't have a great arm. That's not really enough to take him out of consideration, in my estimation. I think, he, to me, he looks like the number one overall. Now, so a lot of things can happen between now and the last weekend in April. But I think he set everything up. I mean, let's see what happens in the playoffs. Let's see all those things. But he has been he had his, he has had an incredible season and I think he's an incredible prospect. I think everyone would agree. It's still a year away, but how much has uh Trevor Lawrence's stock changed uh well, the course of this season? Yeah. Wow. Well, we're not talking about him breathlessly the way we were this time last year, are we? Um, this goes to show what, <laughs> I guess, how fickle the draft process can be and college football in general can be. Um, I don't. I think that he is still no less the prospect that he was, but because they're, you know, because the, <laughs> the National Championship game wasn't last month, he's not as uh, sexy and not as on top and everything. Now, the thing about Trevor Lawrence, whenever he does come out, and I presume it's going to be in 21, um, whatever happens in September, October, November of 20 is probably going to be pushed away because of, um, he's going to, I think he's going to have a great January, February, and March. Um, now, again, <laughs> I just sat here and talked about how fickle the draft process, and process is and how people come out of nowhere. We don't know what's going to happen in 21, but I still think that Lawrence is an exceptional prospect and a guy who, is, who checks all the boxes and, gonna, and is going to make some team really happy whenever draft day does come. And I still think he's number one overall in 21. I keep berating you on quarterbacks. I'm sorry. it's it, But it is a quarterback league, and you see it 
you see it every Sunday that if you have a quarterback, you've got a chance, and if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. I mean, it's, it's literally the NFL has almost become that simple, at least in my eyes. And I, and I know it's not that simple, but you know, if you've got a quarterback, you're way ahead of the game, and if you don't have a good quarterback, it's just almost impossible to get it done in that league. So it brings me to Justin Herbert, who, uh, but year and a half ago people were saying he could be the number one pick in the draft and then he, he he didn't have a didn't have a phenomenal junior season and people said well maybe football doesn't mean enough to him and uh maybe he's just too different of a guy and uh his stock fell and so he comes back and now he's having a pretty good season and people are starting to talk about him again as a franchise quarterback when you look at him what do you see well um I haven't seen him since the Auburn game. There's been a lot of football plays since then. He did not impress me in the Auburn game. And um, now I haven't talked to, haven't talked to teams, haven't talked to scouts about him. I don't really know what the consensus is necessarily. What I expect is um, he's going to go into January, and he's going to be talked about as a first rounder. But I think that, again, there'll be that inflation that comes with the quarterbacks. And he's going to go from probably late round into. Uh, top 15, I get. I would guess he goes in the top 10 if no other reason that he is one of the top quarterbacks. And as you said, it's become such an important position, even more so because of the rule changes and the way quarterbacks are protected now and, and all those kinds of things. So I think he goes top 10, even though I think that he is certainly not without blemishes. Um, I still think that he's going to be a guy that is drafted pretty highly because he's an impact player at an impact position. Yeah, it's so. I look around the league, and you know, I, I adopted a team a couple of years ago, and and everybody said, "Hey, you don't watch enough NFL." And I said, "Okay, well, you're probably right." And part of that is because I've told this story to you before. I grew up in Louisiana. All my friends were Cowboy fans. I'm kind of a natural contrarian, so that meant I couldn't cheer for the Cowboys. The Saints came on all the time, and that was when it was Archie Manning and a bunch of dudes, and they weren't any good, and I didn't cheer for them, and so I never really had an NFL team. And so I adopted the Bears a couple of years ago. They go to the playoffs last season, get bounced, and this year they're horrible in large part because they have no quarterback play. Is is it – obviously they made a mistake in the draft when they didn't take Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. I'm going to assume that the Chiefs and the Texans won't uh, sign off on a do-over for the Bears. Where, where do the Bears go from here with, with Trubisky? Is it time to abort there before you invest more money? or, or what, How do you go about rectifying that if you're that franchise? Abort. Uh, man, I'm a tough question you say for me today, uh, Neil. Um, I don't know. It's it's so hard to pull the plug on a guy. This is year two, right? I'm sorry if I'm losing track. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I guess it's year three. Year three, yeah. Right, right. Um, I, you know, we're going to have to see how the draft board falls. It looks like the Bears are going to pick on the top half of the draft, right? Um, they had their first rounder, I believe. I don't think they traded their first rounder. Or did they? Was he, was he part? No, they still have, the, they have their pick. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, um, I think they're going to have to look hard at, at drafting another quarterback, Neil. I mean, you can't, you have, <laughs> as a Saints fan, I know intimately, you have certain windows. And that defense is not going to stay young and frisky and dominant forever. 
um, you know, and, and you're always an injury away from going from a, a unit that dominates to a unit that really struggles. I, I just, the Bears have not been the same team since they lost to Keem Hicks. My point being, you can't wait forever on Mitch Trubisky. If he's not your guy, you've got to move on. I think, um, to me, they play, you know, they said the, the kitchen sink at Trubisky and start asking him to make plays the second half of the season and kind of save their year. And if not, you've got to look at moving on. And that, now, the hard part is Ryan Pace, in a way, stakes on Mitch Trubisky's success. If, if Trubisky fails, you've got to look hard at Pace, right? Yeah, because I mean, he rolled the dice I mean, on that pick. He overthought it. <laughs> Yeah. He moved up. He paid a King's ransom to move up one slot on a guy that didn't start till his senior year. And I realized that the theme of today's call has been overnight sensation. But you better get it right. And Trubisky sat behind a guy that was not even in the league the year after his, you know, after his rookie year. Um, wow. Deshaun, look at Deshaun Watson. I mean, how, how did we all miss Why was there not a groundswell of people saying, why is Deshaun Watson the first pick in the draft? Look at his record on the field. You know, how can the draft process have picked him apart so much to where when he went wherever he went with the, with the Texans, people were like, yeah, that's probably about right. No, it wasn't. He should have, I mean, come on. How does Trubisky go ahead of him? That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm not picking him up. Hey, no. a lot of teams would have him over, over, uh, over uh, Deshaun Watson. No, I think, and I've said this to people, when, when it gets discussed, there's so much because of the the incredible success that Patrick Mahomes has had in the NFL early in his career. People say, "Man, you know they the 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 Bears really screwed up not taking Mahomes." I give them a pass on Mahomes. The reason yeah. is because so many other teams evaluated Patrick Mahomes the same way that the Bears did. Precisely right. Precisely right. I, I don't give them a pass on Deshaun Watson. Because Deshaun Watson, you watched him at Clemson, and you're like, this dude can play, man. And and he, all he does is make plays, and he played a lot of football. There was a lot of film. He's big, athletic, has a big arm, all of those things. And the Bears just decided, I think, I don't know whether it's the – to me it's the fascinating stuff with like what you do and what people like you do is that the season ends – I mean, effectively, the season ends next week. And everybody takes yeah. a break, and they play a bowl game or whatnot, and then a few teams play in the playoffs. But for the most part, the season ends, and the draft isn't for five months. And I think there's so much time that people overthink stuff, and they they convince themselves of things, and they get away from the fact that hey man, you're drafting a football player. You're not drafting yeah. a, you're not drafting a robot or, or whatever. You're drafting a football player. It's like so many people overthought, in my opinion, DK Metcalf a year ago out of Ole Miss. And they said, well, he's well, the three-cone drill and this and that. And I'm like, man, I've watched this kid since he's in high school, and all he does is make plays. And so I, I, look, at, I look at the deal with, with Trubisky and, and Watson, and I think – if you had just made a football decision based on nothing but football, you would have taken Deshaun Watson, and you'd be in really good shape today in Chicago. This is when, something I think about all the time. What if they had the NFL draft the 
weekend before the Super Bowl. What if they had it at the end of January? So you have college football, you get all the bowls done, you yep. take a couple weeks off, and you have the draft. Yep. How would the draft look different? Oh. If they weren't overanalyzing, if they weren't running around in shorts, if they weren't doing all those things. If they took January and instead of playing all three games, they just did medicals. Okay, let's take a seventy one Indianapolis. Nobody's gonna run, nobody's gonna lift, no one's gonna do any of that stuff. We just wanna check out your knees and your shoulders and all those kind of things. Yeah. And then they made their and then they made their readings based off of their medical and based on what they did in football. How would the draft look different? I bet a Deshaun Watson goes higher. Now again, I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky was able to do this. Mitch Trubisky was able to do this because of what he did on his pro day or whatever. But I do think the closer you get to football being played as you help the draft, I bet you make more football decisions. That's just my that's my theory. I've talked to NFL people who say the same thing. It's like the quiet little thing where they go, you know, the the problem is there's so much time, and then the the time creates so much misinformation, and and people right. start talking and they start thinking, and 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 right. you know, oh, I'm with you. If if you could, and it'll never happen because the draft has become this this business. Oh no, in and so of itself, money. yeah, so much money to be yeah. made, and but yeah, I mean, if you just took the guys in middle of January to Indianapolis and still did the deal where you strip them down to their underwear and measure everything except for you know a couple of things and, and and you you get you do their medicals and you check out shoulders and knees and ankles and and whatnot i think that actually i think there'd be fewer mistakes made in the draft right i, I really right. do and and you hate to label a guy like trubisky a mistake because he seems like a good kid and he's, he's got a lot of athleticism sure. but he the bears won't just let him run the offense, and then you watch him against the Rams the other night, and you see why. He just he can't run the mm-hmm. offense. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about some teams where they got the quarterback deal right, and boy, it's paying off. The Baltimore Ravens at 8-2, and two, Lamar Jackson has just been phenomenal, frankly. He's just been phenomenal. Um, how is, in your opinion, and I know you don't, you don't necessarily know the answer to this, but in your opinion, how will his success change the way that uh, maybe you know quarterbacks like him are uh, are evaluated? And I don't mean that by African American quarterbacks or crap like that. Yeah. I mean guys who can really who use their feet as a real weapon. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about this is this goes back in more draft mechanics. Do you take the guy that is a finished product and do you take the guy that has tools that you feel like you can develop? I don't think, I think based on what we're looking at, Lamar Jackson played what, about 24, 25 games. I don't think we've seen many quarterbacks who've improved as much as he has in those first 25 games. Who could predict that? I don't, I, I don't know if I could. I mean, right now we're talking about, to me, head and shoulders above everyone else in the MVP race. Um, I don't think he looked that good in the playoff game against the Chargers last year. I mean, look how far he's come in the first eight, nine, ten games of this season. So, how do you, does that change how you evaluate quarterbacks? I don't know. I think at the end of the day, you're always going to have to make a decision. Do we want to take the guy who's the Peyton Manning, the guy who's a four-year starter, who's played all these games and you know has the pedigree and what have you, or do we take the guy with the exciting uh, talent, the exciting tools, and feel like we can take a chance on molding him into something who nobody else has, which is kind of what 
he's become. You know, I think that's the age-old question. And for as long as we have an NFL draft and as long as it's at the end of April, people are going to grapple with this question. I don't know if we can really make a definitive the statement on, well, I think everyone's going to start rolling the dice for him. Maybe they will, but some teams are still going to have lower risk tolerance. They're going to want a guy that looks, you know, is more from central casting and maybe came from a different conference and maybe played in a certain way. This is fast turned into a quarterback show. I apologize. Um, <laughs> that's all right. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about. So, a couple of teams have big decisions to make with, with current quarterbacks. The Cowboys have a big decision to make with Dak Prescott. Wow. Presumably, they're just going to give him the money. He's had a pretty good year. The Panthers in a different spot. They've got a decision to make soon with Cam Newton, and I don't know that it's as easy of a decision. I mean, Dallas can justify, hey, let's give Dak the money. He's earned it. Um, we It works. We're, 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 we're a playoff team, et cetera. Carolina, not only that, Kyle Allen's been okay, and and you could put that money elsewhere. You could get into the draft. They're not. It doesn't appear they're going to catch the Saints. It doesn't appear they're a playoff team. They play New Orleans this weekend, but you know it's in New Orleans. They're nine and a half point underdog. They, they it's going to be difficult to win there. Right. How do you sort of see those two things playing out? Well, let's take Carolina first. Um, I know that there are people in the Panthers' locker room who've been kind of relieved um, that Cam's not around. Cam comes with a whole lot of baggage. Um, And I think that the team has kind of been able to relax a bit. Now, prior to the Niners game, not only was the temperature a little little bit more comfortable, but Kyle Allen was playing lights out. But in the last two weeks, and I haven't seen either game, so I don't know if they figured him out or if he just had a bad run, but um, Kyle Allen hasn't been the same guy. I mean, there's certainly question marks now. And now, with all that said, the Panthers are in a position where there's a great chance. I mean, we've got a new owner there who kind of wants to put a stamp on the team. What I've been told, and I think I've discussed this on your show before, is that they want to go in more of an analytics direction with their scouting department. They've got a, essentially a holdover GM. They have a holdover head coach, who I think is an excellent head coach, but still a holdover. They, they could be looking at a clean house over there. If they clean house, they're going to clean house on quarterback as well. So I think Newton is probably going after this year. There's still football to be played, so we don't know for sure. But I think he's probably gone. I also think that I read a really interesting article, and I'm certainly no doctor, but it discussed how Cam has become a hardcore vegetarian and eats no meat whatsoever, and how much harder it is to rehab and come back from a serious injury when you aren't giving yourself the same protein dose that meat eaters get. I think that's interesting. It's kind of backed into it. The thing now, touching on Dak, the thing that's tricky is he doesn't want just a standard good, great quarterback uh, contract. He wants to kind of reset the market. I'm not sure if I reset the market for a guy who's, I mean, he's a solid quarterback. I'd like to pay him, but I don't know if I want to give him 35 because it takes all the flexibility out of the rest of your payroll. Um, he goes from he goes from being on a rookie deal where you can bring in all these other guys to you know being paid like a veteran quarterback and wow that makes it a lot tougher to pay Amari Cooper and, and what have you. Um, they're in a real situation, I think. I mean, look what the Rams did. I think the Rams might have made a mistake paying Jared Goff, and um, boy, you can really reset your franchise in a bad way if you blow that call. 
So I do think that they finally they do get something done with with Dak, but only if he comes off of this thirty five to forty million a year that he wants. Did Teddy Bridgewater change his market? I know obviously he's not the guy in New Orleans. It's Drew Brees for as long as Drew Brees wants to be the guy. But Bridgewater went from being okay to fairly good by the end of his stint filling in for Breeze. Did, did did he change his market enough where he'll get an opportunity to be an NFL starter next season? Oh, I think so. Um, again, I think it, here's my unpopular opinion. If the Saints win the Super Bowl, and that's a big yes, but if they win the Super Bowl, I think Drew retires. Now, why not keep Teddy around? And probably at a reasonable cost. It, now, if Drew doesn't retire, he certainly is capable of playing for seven more years. But I think Teddy goes somewhere. I don't think Teddy goes in as a guy that you break the bank on, but I do think he's the kind of guy that can play system. I mean, listen, forget about what he did in New Orleans. Let's set that aside, even as impressive as it was. He's not a guy who's never taken success in the NFL. Now, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Drew Brees. But he's a guy that can get you through. And if you've got an I mean, the Bears, he'd be a great place for it. I mean, Chicago would be a great place for him. He could go in, they've got a great defense, they could rebuild their running game, he could, you know, make the throws that need to be made, and they could go to playoffs next year with, with Teddy Bridgewater. I think if he goes into a place where they've got a pretty good team around him, he can be a good guy, and I don't think he's going to be looking for, you know, he's probably looking for, I don't think he makes Nick Foles money, but he's somewhere below that to where he can still manage your cap and that kind of thing. All right, let's. You talk about the Saints and Drew Brees. Let's talk NFC playoff picture. It's a little early, but we're getting there. Yeah. I, I, I look at it and I see the following teams that I think are true Super Bowl contenders out of the NFC. In other words, they could they could win a couple of games in January. The Packers eight and two. Aaron Rodgers playing. Uh, some of his best football. Uh, Minnesota's eight and three and a really balanced team. I like them every time that I see them. The Saints at eight and two. They had that kind of abomination against Atlanta, but other than that, they've been they've been great all year. So I, I'm willing to chalk, I, I'm willing to chalk that up as just one weird Sunday. Uh, yeah. Seattle looks great at eight and two, playing better. They they and they beat San Francisco, who's nine and one, in a classic overtime game. They still play each other again. The Niners still play the Saints. I mean, there's a lot of football left, but all of those teams look like teams that are capable. And of course, only one of them can get there. When you look at that NFC playoff picture, who, who's who is the team or two that stands out as no? That's that's the team or two that's the best. Uh, well, there's some good teams. Um, I haven't seen the Packers. I'm, I mean, the running game is what impresses me. I, I think it's the running game is taking so much pressure off of of, of Rodgers that you know makes them that more, much more dangerous. But I think their defense still has a couple of warts, and they may be vulnerable in that regard. Um, I think we're going to find out about the 49ers over the course of the second half. They've got to play the Saints. They've got to play the Seahawks. They've got some other teams. I think they play the Packers as well. Um, they've got a really tough second half of the season. They're also going to be playing a desperate... I don't think they played the Rams twice. They're going to be playing a desperate Rams team that, I mean, the playoffs essentially have already started for the Rams. You know, they, they've got to, they've kind of got to almost win out to stay in because some of these teams are having such great years. Um, I don't, I'm not as concerned about the Eagles as everyone else seems to be, although um, they've got a 
pretty easy second half of the season. Um, to me, the Seahawks are the team to watch, uh, other than the Saints, because obviously I like Russell Wilson a lot. They do enough on defense. Um, they've got a good, solid running game. Those are—I I still believe those are things that you win with. And um, so, I, to me, those are the teams now. The Vikings are kind of a wild card. <laughs> you talk about metamorphosis. I mean, people are ready to run Kirk Cousins out of the league after about what, four or five games, and now uh, the Vikings are one of the hottest teams in, in, in the NFL. So uh, I think probably the Saints and the Seahawks are my two teams that I would think are the have the best chance to advance to the Super Bowl. Um, after that, I think they can't obviously can't can't up can't up the Niners. Their defense has really been impressive. Uh, as well as the Vikings, I don't. I know a lot of people are still on the Cowboys bandwagon. I can see the Eagles winning that division. I don't think the Super Bowl team comes out of the NFC East. Uh, before we go to, I'm, I'm gonna get to AFC. I just remembered I, I left a quarterback out that a lot of my listeners will be curious to get your thoughts on. What what in, what are you hearing from NFL people? What's kind of your gut on uh, Eli Manning's future if he if he even has one in the league? If I'm in Manning, do I want to go and be a backup somewhere? Because that's where he's going. That, that's his future to me. I mean, unless maybe a Bears are willing to take a chance on him as kind of a place setter. But he's not a long-term starter anymore. Oh, I don't no. think. Oh, no. I mean, I think if he started, you're talking okay. about you're talking about one, maybe two seasons someplace, kind of like right. what Peyton did at the end of his career. I'm not comparing the two right. people. I'm just using the example. If I mean, look, he, he could walk away today. He's got all the money he wants and stuff, and, sure. and his legacy is intact for what, what, whatever that sure. – we have that debate. They're just You hear these rumblings that, that the, the fire isn't out yet, that he wants to play, and the Giants have clearly turned the page. So if you're if you're Eli and you decide to play, is there a place that makes sense in a one or two years window? Boy, um, it's tough. Off the top of my head, I don't know what team that is. And again, we've been the Bears about playing here as having kind of a quarterback need. Uh, I I think if I'm Eli and I have I don't have any insights here. I haven't talked to anyone. Why do I do that? Why don't I just walk away? I mean, he's still healthy. Why does he go to a team and risk being kind of behind a bad offensive line again and maybe not having a consistent running game and for you know, a few million dollars? And God knows that's a lot of money and that's wonderful, but does he need him at this point? Again, he's won two Super Bowls. To me, you put him in the hall. There's a debate on that, obviously. But I don't know that him going anywhere else is really going to further his legacy and God knows he's probably got enough money. Um, I I've, I think he packs it in after this year. I really do. Uh, he won two Super Bowls, both against Tom Brady and the Patriots, who are 9-1, uh, and one, controlling their own destiny yet again, I think for the 20th time in the last 20 years. Um, can anyone knock New England out, or is this Patriots team headed back to the Super Bowl, in your opinion? Well, I think the Ravens can make a case. Um, I think the Chiefs have been weakened. I don't think they're certainly as dominant as they were. I'm not sure if the Chiefs even win that division. I think the Raiders have a shot. Um, I, but I do think it's between the Ravens and the Patriots for the most part. And, um, you know, obviously, I, I, 
I would love to see Bill Belichick give a second shot on Lamar Jackson. You know, Lamar Jackson kind of pulled down the, the Patriots' pants and spanked him the first time. I don't know if they do that two times against the Patriots. But he's a unique talent, so I wouldn't count him out. I, if, I, if I'm betting and the Patriots and the, and the Ravens are playing in the AFC Championship, I'm taking the Patriots. I'll say that. But um, I'm not real. I'm still kind of uneasy about it because uh, the Ravens are not let, let's put Let's set Lamar Jackson aside. they got a solid running game. They've got a decent uh, receiving game. They've got a great, to me, a great tight end in Mark Andrews. And, and their defense is coming around. It was weaker in the season, but I think it's improving. And, uh, you know, again, they've got a lot of momentum right now. I told you I wouldn't keep you but 30. I kept you about 36. So uh, I, I will I will let you go. <laughs> I know you got a lot of stuff to do. So I really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll be back in touch with you soon, I hope. Neil, yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. It's always a good time. And, um it's going to be fun to watch the rest of the season. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Talk to you soon. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Again, my thanks to Neil Stratton for his time today on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the NFL and uh, college football talk with him. We'll come back uh, maybe as early as the end of this week, but soon Burton Webb, who uh, is a Mississippian, but he is in Paris right now as a, as a chef. His stuff is fantastic. You read it probably every week on 10 Weekend Thoughts, which is brought to you by Harry Alexander. Uh, Burton is uh, contributing to 10 Weekend Thoughts every week. His uh, stuff has been fantastic. His Thanksgiving series has just been uh, been really cool. Hope you have enjoyed it. So we'll get him on. We're going to talk some uh, Thanksgiving food. And as I mentioned, we'll get Greg Jones on as well. So we'll, uh, we'll turn our attention to our stomachs here in the next uh, couple editions of the Beer Garden. So until then, again, thanks to Neil Stratton. Thanks to the people at the Oxford Crystal. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, take care.